Bold Living in Turbulent Times. That's the title of the series that we kicked off last weekend at Grace, and I've been so pleased and a bit surprised at so much positive feedback already. Thank you for all of you who sent emails or letters or gave comments that are so positive about that. But as we noted last week, we live in a world where there's a lot of turbulent things going on. Whether we're talking about uh, international calamities, refugees all around the world, millions of people displaced, going through very hard times. Whether we're talking about escalating terrorist activities or tough economic times or diseases out of control in certain places. Genocide going on in certain parts of the world. There's all these calamities going on. And as we noted, it's as though the very foundations are being shaken. And many believers, true believers, are finding it difficult to remain confident and bold in times like these. I think Psalm 82.5 is a verse that really sums up well our culture. It says, they know nothing, they understand nothing, they walk about in darkness, all the foundations of the earth are shaken. So how are we supposed to live confident and bold lives in times like these? It's interesting, verse 6 in 2 Corinthians 4 One of the verses in our text for today reads like this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. When the lights go out in a cave, it's a pretty good time to be selling flashlights, I'll tell you. When the darkness is encroaching, it's a pretty good time to be turning on a light. And I am bold enough and positive enough and optimistic enough to believe that in spite of these perilous times, that the darker things get spiritually and the more moral chaos that ensues, the more attractive the light of Jesus Christ will appear to people. The prophet Isaiah predicted that the Messiah's coming would be like this. He said, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So I don't know where you are on your own spiritual journey, but if you're a follower of Christ, these are times when God wants us to be confident and bold. As we said, confidence does not mean obnoxiousness. It doesn't mean that we have zeal without knowledge. We're talking here about a quiet, calm confidence that flows out of a genuine relationship with Christ. So how can we do that? How can we live confidently? How can we shine his light and let him shine through us in times like these? Today, as we look into chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, I want to mention just a few ways that we can allow his light to shine through our lives. First, I think it's imperative that we remain positive in a negative world. 
Look with me at verse 1 of our text. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We've got to be people who don't quit easily, lose heart, and give up. Years ago, the New York Transit Company, New York City Transit Company, was missing a bus and a driver. And no one knew where the bus or the driver had gone. For over a week, authorities searched and searched with no success. Finally, Ten days after they had disappeared, both the bus and the driver were found in Miami, Florida. I'd had it with the cold weather, the passengers and my family, the driver said. One day after the last passenger got off, I thought, I wonder what would happen if I just took off driving. So that's what he did until he got to Florida and enjoyed the sun and the surf for over a week. Now, haven't we all felt like that at times? You ever felt just like taking off, just running away, getting away from all the stress and the pressure of your life? Maybe for you, the thing you want to run away from is your marriage. You've tried different things, you've talked about it, but it just continues to be the same. It just doesn't improve, and sometimes you just want to throw your hands up and quit. Or maybe it's your task of parenting that has you discouraged. You know you want to train and to properly discipline your children and to prepare them for life and so on, but, but the, the more effort you put into it, the more they seem to just rebel against what you're trying to do and resist it. And you're going, look, it just doesn't work. I don't get it. I mean, shouldn't kids come with a manual or something? I mean, how do you do this parenting thing? And you want to run away from it all. Or maybe it's your work that has you down. You're in a work environment that's just not positive. People are hypercritical. Uh, your boss is negative. He or she just is breathing down your neck, or at least it feels that way every day, push, pushing you for more, more, more. And yet the compensation doesn't increase. You don't feel like you're being paid what you deserve. Why not just take off and never come back? I suppose there are all kinds of reasons that people would get disillusioned and lose heart. Bills mount up, health fails, criticisms really hurt, friends betray you, your expectations get smashed. And maybe you feel even like quitting your Christian journey. Boy, I tell you, it just hasn't worked out the way you thought. And even though you pray and even though you read the Bible on occasion and you, you try to do the right thing, it just doesn't seem to be working for you. And you have thoughts sometimes, maybe I just ought to drop out of church. Maybe I just ought to kind of fade away and hope nobody notices. I think I'm just going to give up on this spiritual stuff. The worst defeat in college football happened in 1916 when Georgia Tech played tiny Cumberland College in Kentucky. The score of the football game, 222 to nothing. Little Cumberland College didn't get a single first down the entire game. I mean, these 
much smaller Cumberland players were just being mauled by Georgia Tech. And about halfway through the first half, a Cumberland player fumbled, fumbled the ball as it bounced over toward a teammate. He said, pick it up, pick up the ball. And his teammate shot back, you pick it up, you dropped it. And haven't we all felt that way? We're just so tired of getting knocked down. We just want to quit. But friend, I hope you're listening over and over again. The Bible encourages people like you and me who tend to get discouraged and weary. It encourages us not to lose heart. Listen to what Paul wrote in Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, I'll tell you, I've been on this Christian journey for a lot of years now and been in leadership in the church and Christian organizations for a long time. And can I, can I tell you something that I've just concluded about the people I appreciate the most? They're not the flashiest people that I appreciate the most. Not even the most gifted people. The people through the years I've grown to appreciate the most are Christians who just don't quit. They're there at their post week after week, month after month, year after blessed year. Even though they have trials, even though they go through hard times, even though they get discouraged and knocked down, they just keep on putting one foot in front of the, the other. Those are the people I admire. Those are the individuals that I respect so much. And that's what the Bible calls us to be. I think Paul was that kind of person. Twice in this chapter four here in 2 Corinthians, he encourages us not to lose heart. And we need, in this age of burnout and disloyalty and fickleness, we need to rediscover his secret. But you go, Pastor Rex, how? How can we not lose heart when it seems like the very foundations are crumbling? Well, he began this chapter four with the word therefore, and I know it's corny, but it's true. Every time you see that word therefore in the Bible, you ought to ask what it's there for, because it's there for a reason. And the reason, he says, therefore, is he's referring back to chapter three. Remember, last week we talked about you can be bold and confident if you're not trusting yourself, but you're trusting in God for your daily strength. You can be bold and confident every day, even in the face of death, if you're living by grace and not by law. Remember that? And you can be bold and confident if you're focusing on character more than reputation and you're really living for an audience of one. And Paul says, look, since we have this affirmative ministry, we don't lose heart. In Acts 16, we see that Paul and Silas were beaten thrown into an inner, inner dungeon and put in stocks. But instead of losing heart and wanting to quit, they sang praises to God at midnight. Isn't that amazing? Boy, I tell you, that jail began to shake. God sent an earthquake. The doors flew open. Paul and Silas were released, and the jailer came trembling on his knees. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
I believe if we're going to bring the light of Christ to a dark world, it's so imperative that we not lose heart, that we stay positive, that we keep believing what we say we believe, that we don't let the daily discouragements and crotchety people get us down. Oh, I know that's easier said than done. But it's so critical because when we persevere like that and remain positive, it's a powerful testimony. And the light of Christ shines through. Secondly, to let the light of Christ shine through us, I think it's imperative that we demonstrate integrity in a deceptive world. Let's read on a little further here in chapter 4, verse 2. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, let's stop there for a moment. You see, from the very beginning, Satan has been a deceiver. Jesus said he's a liar and the father of lies. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that he masquerades as an angel of light. His whole MO is deception. And so, if we're going to let Christ's light shine through us, we've got to go the road of integrity. We've got to strip away anything that's deceptive or shameful uh, in our lives and just let the light of Christ shine through. And yet there's that temptation in a world like this to be deceptive or clever, even with the gospel. I've read of some crisis pregnancy centers who actually disguise themselves as abortion clinics in order to get people to walk in. They think they're walking in to talk about an abortion, but then they find out, wow, this is something very different. I don't know what you think about that but that's a little deceiving, isn't it? What do the people think about the integrity of the persons who work there? Or uh, even in sharing the gospel, uh, there's a Christian track that I've seen numerous times. I saw one on the ground one time. It looked like a dollar bill. It looked like a real dollar when you just looked at it. I thought, oh, dollar, I pick it up. And inside are the four spiritual laws. Boy, don't you know somebody's really going to be happy to read those when they thought they had a dollar, and now they're reading some gospel message. Well, I don't know what you think about these things, but I, I think we've got to go to great lengths just to show integrity. Churches hardly look like churches anymore many times. They've so in their drive to try to appeal to people, to unbelievers, they've so stripped the message down that it hardly contains the gospel anymore. And people think they're a part of some positive mental attitude movement. And then maybe months later they find, oh, it's actually a church. I, I, think, I think we've got to let the light of Christ shine through us by getting rid of secret and shameful ways. We must be people of integrity. In 1929, federal agent Elliot Ness made an annual salary of $2,800, $2,800 a year. And one day he received an envelope with $2,000 cash in it and a letter from Al Capone. 
And Capone said, you can have this money in cash every week if you'll just back off. Well, Elliot Ness rejected the bribe, even though that was an astronomical amount of money being offered. And instead, he called a press conference to report it. And the next day, headlines read, Ness and his men are untouchable. And they became known after that as the untouchables. I, I think that ought to be us, really. Just uncorruptible. Just not even a hint of immorality. Just living in the light of Christ. You say, well, pastor, that's pretty idealistic, don't you think? Yeah, it is. But I think we have to be authentic. Peter writes, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation, in the day that he returns and, and visits us. So if others are going longer in the 15-minute break, you come back on time. If your classmates are critiquing everyone unscrupulously, then you back off on that and don't do it. If everybody else is cheating on their taxes, then you be, you be honest with your taxes. If, if others are trying to find ways to lie and cut corners in business, then you, as a Christ follower, do it the right way. Be honest. Have integrity. And if in your class everybody's cheating, you go ahead and be honest, even if your grade suffers. Dr. Madison Surratt at Vanderbilt University told his students, today I'm giving two examinations, one in trigonometry and the other in honesty. I hope you will pass them both. But if you must fail one, fail trig. There are many good people in the world who can't pass trigonometry, but there are no good people in the world who cannot pass a test of honesty. But just be aware, if you pass the test of integrity, not everyone's going to appreciate it, and you'll get critiqued even for that. The world may renounce you. Paul goes on here in verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Have you ever seen anyone where you go, how can they not be a believer? How can they live in that family and not follow Christ? How can they read that book? How can they listen to that sermon? How can they be married to that person and not be a Christian? You ever seen anyone like that? And you go, it's just like they've been blinded somehow. Well, the Bible says that's exactly what Satan does. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. And they're so enamored with this world, they have eyes, but they can't see. The Apostle John writes in John 3, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Is the light of Christ shining through your life today? Are you a person of integrity? Are you a person who's just authentic and you just do what you say you believe? 
Well, there's a third thing I want to mention that I think comes right out of this text, and that is if the light of Christ is going to shine through us, I think it's imperative that we practice servanthood in a selfish world. Servanthood in a selfish world. Look with me at verse 5 here. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, the world is accustomed to everyone looking out for number one. You know that's true. And so when someone marches to a different drummer and is selfless, it really tends to get attention. If you put the needs of others above yourself, trust me, friend, it's really going to stand out. And people will know there's something wonderfully, wonderfully different about you. And I think that service is a powerful thing. This year at our Latham congregation in the Vacation Bible School, there was a wonderful service project. 55 families participated. Now, every year they have a service component in VBS. But I think that this year's project was special. The main thrust was to partner with one of our Grace in Action partners, Unity House, and to create these client bags, these cloth bags that clients at Unity House could use as they shop there, as they go through the Restyle store and uh, maybe get food from the food pantry and things like that. So Jonathan and Jessica Madden, with their three sons, took this project on. It was awesome. Pam Stanley, one of our staff leaders and her team, purchased T-shirts from the Salvation Army, and others brought T-shirts just from home that they had. And so imagine this scene now. Imagine this scene as moms and dads and children of all different ages are in the gymnasium, leaning over tables, following the instructions precisely as they cut these T-shirts into certain shapes, strips of cloth, and they were making these shoulder bags for people to use at Unity House. Awesome. Families were together, doing this together, and then they wrote out these little prayers on pieces of paper and words of encouragement to whoever the owner of this would be. People that they will probably never meet. They wrote down scripture verses, and they tucked these encouraging words inside of each bag for the new owner to find one day and to read. What a powerful, powerful ministry that was. 55 families participated. 242 bags were created for Unity House. And I think it's just another marvelous example of servanthood and that it just proves You can do it at any age. Young, old, everything in between. It makes a difference. Now, folks, I want to tell you, there's something that impresses the world far more than our sermons or our building or our doctrines or our programs. And that is when people see compassion from Christians. That's That's what gets their attention. Helping your neighbors in practical ways, serving the homeless, the hurting, the hungry, desperate people in our area. It's not only a genuine ministry, but it is powerful, powerful publicity for the cause of Christ. And Paul says, we are your bondservants for Jesus' sake. 
Is God's light shining through you in that way? Well, there's one other practical way I want to mention here. It's found in verse 7 that if we're going to let Christ's light shine through us, I think finally here it's imperative that we maintain transparency in a phony world. Transparency in a phony world. Look with me at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, there's a lot of attempted cover-up in our world, right? Very few people want to be totally real and transparent. Reader's Digest carried the following letter. Our daughter, an army sergeant stationed at Fort Stewart, Georgia, called us during an intensive leadership training course that required her to spend six weeks at a forest encampment under Spartan conditions. Mom, I've met someone here I'd like to know better, she said, but we aren't allowed to wear makeup, so he has no idea what I really look like. We're so accustomed to wearing masks that we think it's just natural. People wear masks and pretend to be nicer, prettier, richer, more influential, more confident than they really are. And Christians can be really phony too, pretending that we're more spiritual than we are. Partly because we're afraid, we're just afraid that if people find out how we really are, that it's going to turn them away from Christ. But can I tell you something I, I, I've learned? There is nothing more compelling than a genuine follower of Christ who's just honest about their weaknesses, who's just transparent, who just admits they don't have it all together. Hey, they're not what they ought to be, they're not what they're going to be, but thank God they aren't what they used to be. And they're just honest about that. There's few things more winsome than that. I've always been inspired by the life of D.L. Moody, Dwight Lyman Moody, the greatest American evangelist of the 19th century. He was born in 1837, died in 1899. What a powerful representative for Jesus he was. He shared the gospel with over two million people in his lifetime. Just such a winsome witness. And he went to visit Charles Spurgeon once in London, this great English preacher that considered the prince of preachers. Even in his day, he was pr probably the most popular preacher alive in his day. And when Spurgeon answered the door, Moody was shocked because Spurgeon was smoking a cigar. And Moody said, how can you, a man of God, smoke a cigar? Spurgeon took the cigar out of his mouth and poked a finger at Moody's rather robust stomach and said, the same way that you can be a man of God and be so fat. <laughs> Guess what? The two became friends. And neither of them hid their weaknesses. Now, please hear me. When I talk about being transparent, I'm not talking about just going anywhere and telling all your thoughts or just going around and just telling people all the bad things you've ever done or thought about doing. 
Admitting imperfections is not a substitute for repentance. But trust me, people aren't attracted to Christians who pretend to be perfect. We've got to let people know we are just cracked pots. That's what we are. But by God's grace, he's changing us. He's making us into something different. Just be honest about that. Paul made statements like, look, I'm the worst of sinners. That's an apostle saying that. I'm the worst of sinners. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He's not talking about an excuse to sin so that Christ's grace will look better by contrast. But the light of the sun always shines more brightly through a clean window. One of the greatest compliments I believe we ever receive as a church, and I hear this, thank God, on a real regular basis. I consider it a tremendous compliment. I meet someone, maybe they've been coming for a few weeks or a few months, and I, I finally meet them, and we're chatting and talking. And usually, with a great deal of surprise, here's what they say. They look me in the eye. They're just being very honest, very real. I say, Pastor Rex, you know, I've just never seen a church like this. I've just never seen a church like this. And, they, and then they say, the people here are just so real. I say, you know what? I think, I think you've put your finger on it. I think that's one of the things that is so special about this church. And then I usually go on to say, you know what? There's not a lot of phoniness around here. Thank God we've just got a lot of people who just are willing to be honest. And I, I think it's because they just feel it's a safe place. I can just be honest about my struggles. I can just talk to people in a genuine way about what God is doing and what God is helping me overcome. So as I close today, let me ask you this. Is the light of Jesus Christ shining through you? And if not, why not? You see, Jesus made two bold declarations, and I just share this in closing. He said, I'm the light of the world, and indeed he is. He can come to any person, no matter how far away they may be from God, no matter how spiritually dark their life is, no matter how much moral chaos is there, he can come to any person and in a moment he can turn on a light. Oh, that's just what he does. He is the light of the world. But here's the other statement Jesus made. Jesus looked at his disciples and at us and said, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And what he's saying is that I want my light to shine through you. If I'm in you and I'm the light, <laughs> guess what? You're gonna be light too. So this week, let's let that be our challenge. Everywhere we go, let's think about how am I representing Jesus here? Am I being authentic? Am I keeping it real? Am I being transparent? Am I going with a servant attitude, trying to help somebody? Am I staying positive even when everybody around me is negative? If you do that, trust me, Jesus is going to shine through powerfully in your life. 
Father, thank you that you've called us and you've told us that we are the light of the world. What a statement. Boy, we sometimes don't feel that way. And yet you've told us to live lives of authenticity, to not lose heart, to just be transparent. Father, thank you that we can live a bold, calm life like that, not worry about what people think, because we're not about reputation. We're about character. That's what matters. And we're living for an audience of one. I pray for all of us, young and old, all of my brothers and sisters in Christ, that this would be a week when Christ would shine brightly through our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.